This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast, a podcast brought to you by thesciencefictionary.com. Where we discuss everything in the world of sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and superheroes in the world of pop culture. I am Daniel, and join me tonight are Marisha. Hey, everybody. Andrew. What's going on? And David. Hello. All right, so um, this episode, we're continuing with our Pillars of Sci-Fi series, and this one will be in the world of film. Hmm. which movies we feel like really help uh, set the foundation or the cornerstones or the pillars of science fiction. So I'm going to let Andrew start with this one. Marissa started our last category when we did television. So I think it's Andrew's turn. Okay. So I had to kind of step back. After the TV episode, I kind of started to to kind of reevaluate how I looked at this. I was still happy with my list from TV, but not necessarily at how I arrived at it. It was a little more like Daniel talked about last week, where you tried to find certain tropes from sci-fi that are prevalent and try to find early examples of those things. Right. So it was kind of like that, but then realizing that the literature, the books are really the foundation and that everything, TV, movies, everything else is really built on the books, on the novels, right. on literature. And then, so, because of that, really, I, I, I tried to steer away from things, and I did this with TV, too. I tried to steer away from things that were, that started off as as literature, whether it be novels or comics or, or things like that. And so, with film... I, the the idea, I guess, where I finally, what I finally came up with was trying to, knowing that everything, a lot of these movies are influenced heavily by the novels, they're influenced by comics, they're influenced by film serials, influenced by TV. And so the idea became, where can I find examples of sci-fi that either, in, in film, that either presented something brand new or that did something so well that it stepped out of the shadow of the things that came before it. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to do like I I did before. I'm just going to go earliest to latest. The earliest thing on my list, and I was kind of torn on this one because I had several ideas, but I, I also tried, I didn't want to lump everything. It would be real easy to do this list with film and have everything be dystopian futures right you could do four of these and they could all be dystopian and i made a really strong effort to not do that to shake your genre up a little bit right so kind of the first genre i really stepped back and looked at were monster movies 
so critical to what science fiction is, you know, and we go back. I, I had things on my on my list that I, my working list, like the creature from the Black Lagoon, Godzilla. That's but the, the first one popped in my head. But the one that I really settled in on is the original 1933 King Kong. Great movie. Uh, it's a great movie. It did so many new things that had not yet been done. I mean, TV was still pretty young. You know, film, film was still very young. There was a lot of innovation, a lot of tech, things about technology laced throughout the movie. Uh, it was really one of our first. Monster movies weren't something new, but this was one of the first ones that put the monster front and center and made you empathize with the monster. Or, or really kind of did what Frankenstein did and said, who is the real monster? Because of those things and being such an early example of the monster movie genre, which was not something we did a lot of. I mean, there are monster, there are novels that explore this, but the modern or, or the monster movie was kind of something new. And because of that, I'm, I'm choosing King Kong as my first entry. Okay. No, I'm perfectly okay with King Kong. That's, I actually wish I had thought of it definitely belongs there um uh marisha what would your first entry be all right so i'm going to i kind of it's interesting andrew started telling me about kind of his criteria that he was um looking at and i was like well that's funny i was kind of having the same internal conversation um so i kind of tried to go because i was like you know i was looking like what are the like first instances of several different trips showing up in movies and like the first Four time travel movies were all adaptions of the time machine, which, I mean, of course, the time machine is really important, but the time machine as as a movie didn't really like drive anything forward for the genre. It didn't uh, really affect anything other than just, you know, trying to do some justice to the the original story. Um, so I kind of, you know, I spent I spent way too much time on the Internet, y'all looking at. A whole bunch of different things but I did land on a movie that I had never actually heard of but it seems that it was really a, a sort of weird marriage because it was a sci-fi movie but it was also a comedic musical it was called Just Imagine it was made in 1930 and initially I was like well that certainly doesn't count but I kind of started reading a little bit and uh, watching some some clips from it. So basically, the premise is it's the 1980s, and this group of science scientists decide that they're going to revive this guy that was struck by lightning playing golf in the 30s. And so they do. They revive him. And they bring him back. And you know he's got all this weird, you know, goes to this future where you know they get babies out of vending machines and um, no, but people don't have names. They have letter number designations, and they fly around in cars and. Um, Altogether, not like the 80s, if anyone is keeping track. Um, but it, it seems like it, in the same way that Back to the Future kind of decided not to go for how we think the, the uh, what, how we think that 2015 is really going to be. They really went for a more like, what would be fun, you know, what would be a fun way to present 2015? That's sort of the same direction that Just Imagine went. And yeah, it's sure it's a full on musical, y'all. It is the most bizarre thing that I have mm. possibly ever seen. But it was 
the first time that time and time travel has always been one of my favorite genres. The first time that um, time travel was approached from a a lens that was not taken from either connected in King, King Arthur's Court or the Time Machine, and so it kind of you know it was one of the first pictures of here's the world your grandkids are going to live in, which has kind of been a popular trope in in um, time travel movies ever since then. Is you know try and imagine the world, not the far off world, you know. 30,000 years in the future, but a, you know, like, what is the world that we're actually creating? So anyway, that's my, that's my first on my list. Interesting. Okay. And uh, I'm actually really interested in what David's picks are going to be. So. Right. Yeah. David's picks may be very different than ours. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Well, he has a different point of view on things. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a full, um, there's there's a full generational gap there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think I have some pretty solid picks. These are ones I'm pretty confident about, as opposed to our previous sections. And sort of get this out the way, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies ever. And I was gonna put it on my list, and it was on it until Andrew made a great point that I really liked. That. A lot of stuff started as novels. And yes, Blade Runner has outshined, I think it's fair to say, Blade Runner has outshined New Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. But during the novel, I put New Android's Dream of Electric Sheep on my list and talked about it a little bit there. So I decided, you know what, I like that a point. I'm going to leave it off and I'm going to replace it with something else that I want to talk about. And this also started as a novel, I believe, but this outshined it so much that most people don't even know it's a novel. And my first pick is Jurassic Park. Yes. Because when that movie came out, and I don't, you know, I, I didn't feel the impact. From my understanding, and even watching it now, I can tell that movie changed people's lives and their interpretations of what movies could be and what they could yeah. look like. It did. It's one of the films that we're talking about. A, we're going to talk about a couple of them tonight, but that's one of the ones who kind of changed the way films are made. Exactly. It didn't just and change sci-fi movies. It changed movies. It changed every- the way that people look at culture. Um, and mm-hmm. my first, you know, my uh, obscure '30s musical sci-fi movie does not fall into this category. But most of the things on my list are the <laughs> things that everything after them has been compared to. And Jurassic Park mm-hmm. is one. Anytime anybody makes a dinosaur movie, makes a movie with animatronics. Jurassic yeah. Park. Now look at this. Of course, Steven Spielberg, probably the greatest director of all time. Mm-hmm. His repertoire is just unmatched. Um, the movie is beautiful. I of course seen it since numerous times and it blows my mind still watching it as a fan of filmmaking Mm -hmm. it blows my mind what they did especially back then the dinosaurs are beautiful Mm it's the same way that the Mm -hmm. characters feel when they're seeing it Mm -hmm. is the same way that i feel and i'm sure it's the same way that all those kids in the theaters felt yeah it did something that sci-fi is incredible for doing and why i think we love sci-fi so much one of the reasons at least it brought something 
completely absurd that we never thought we'd see, it brought it to life. Dinosaurs are walking around. These scientists did something that sounds... I don't know if this is actually possible, but it sounds like, ooh, this could actually happen. Well, and they brought dinosaurs it, to life. There, there are real advancements that are happening mm -hmm. that are moving towards... I mean, they move closer every day to bringing mastodons back. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's this whole... to me. And Don't again, but it does it does what good science fiction does. It presents something and, and makes it plausible. And it mm -hmm. and and you know the people took a look at that yep. and went you know mm -hmm. may, maybe it inspires could, the next generation of scientists to do it for real. But uh-huh. It did some in, Jurassic Park does some wonderful things with taking, you know, we've talked about all the subgenres of mm -hmm. sci-fi. And Jurassic Park does some wonderful things with taking a number of those and putting them together in one thing. Mm -hmm. It is a it's a legit uh, the the science is critical to the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's still a little bit of a monster movie, and it, it it's it yeah, kind monster. of it it's kind of sits on that line of of kind of being a horror film, a mm -hmm. sci fi horror mm -hmm. film. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's a great film. Uh, when you watch it now, I, I, I mean, I, I like Jurassic World, but of course, none of the sequels have touched this movie. It, it's, it's, it's what a magical movie. And what made me think of it was I actually just read earlier today that, uh, the theaters that are open in America, there, there's not new movies coming out. So they're playing a lot of classic films. And right now, Jurassic Park actually topped the hmm. weekend's box office it was the number one movie at the box office after like decades because wow. movie theaters are playing classic movies yep. and people are going to the theaters and they're still seeing this movie and it still blows people's minds. So, it's number one at the box office. Right. And like so here's, years later. here's what I would say for Jurassic Park for, for people my age really is that the way that, because I wasn't alive in 1977, but the way that those opening moments of Star Wars blew people away in 1977. This was the closest I ever got to that, mm -hmm. to having that just sitting in a theater with my jaw on the floor going, well, how am I, what is happening? Not an accident. They both yeah. had John Williams scores either. Incredible. Yeah. And, and I'm going to talk about John Williams some next week in our miscellaneous, in our miscellaneous category. Yeah. But yeah, Jurassic Park's amazing. It does a great thing sci-fi does. And it does my favorite thing sci-fi does, which is it makes you think. That great line, they, they, they were so worried about if they should, if they could, that they never stopped long enough to think about if they should. Um, yep. I, I love that. I love Jeff Goldblum so much, so, so very much with all my heart. Um, Jurassic Park's an incredible film and it does everything a good sci-fi film should and it changed movies it changed yep. cinema and it's right. you know it's, it's again it's one that is always referenced anytime people talk about say bringing Mastodons back somebody is inevitably going to say didn't they see Jurassic Park um, yeah. you know well, and that's the, the thing truth. About um, be a cautionary tale. <laughs> great sci-fi is it becomes, you know, that sort of thing. It's like that thing that whenever real world things start getting just that weird, people reference back to that. Mm -hmm. um, and Jurassic Park is definitely one of those things. 
All right, Daniel. So what what do you have first on your list? Uh, actually, I have Metropolis. Nice. Mm. Uh, I think everybody probably knew I was going to have it. This is the kind of stuff I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nineteen twenty-seven. And not only do I feel like that's really uh, early example of just sci-fi in general, as far as film goes, mm-hmm. it we talk all the time about how sci-fi can be used to make social commentary and how it, how it does it so well. And not only is this film one of the first sci-fi movies ever, it did that. It is literally... It's set in the year 2030. It's a future we haven't even got to yet, although we're not too far from it. But the industrialists and the wealthy in this world literally live in thousand-story skyscrapers. Um, And they literally live on top of the people who run the whole thing. The working class uh, live and work underground in the machinery that makes the city run it's a little brave new Uh, world isn't it it um it's a little different brave new world it is it is again though david mentioned the movie uh earlier on our previous episode that has a social hierarchy stacked from top to bottom Mm -hmm. um this does that so it's a theme we continue seeing being used i mentioned snowpiercer it's snowpiercer social hierarchy from from rear to the front um uh this film does take a spoiled pampered sheltered youth who lives at the top of the building and he has a reason that he goes down below and finds out the way other people in this city live at the bottom mm-hmm. and decides he wants to do something about it. Um, so it's very much that social commentary that we see carried forward, forward in so much of the science fiction. We still, uh, know and find interesting today. Um, it introduced the idea of, uh, a future with a huge social divide. It also introduces the idea of droids, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. the term may not have been used in that film, but that's essentially what they were. There, there is a, there is a prominent robot character in the film, and so Metropolis, I think, it, it, that is my first entry, and I, I really think that was the beginning of a lot of what we see in sci-fi in film. Mm-hmm. So I have Metropolis. Um, uh, Andrew, what was the yeah um but david what was not david andrew what was the next one on on your list okay so i really kind of got in this back and forth between it came from outer space and the day the earth stood still um and i i ultimately decided to go with the day the earth stood still uh it's from 1951 you made the right choice sir they're both they're both pretty important. Nineteen the the it came from outer space literally created several character arc, archetypes that we see carried forward in a lot of science fiction. But 
the day the Earth stood still, uh, you're in an early Cold War era, post-World War II. It, it's some of the earliest version. It's some of the earliest kind of atomic age warnings about using atomic weapons. You know, you see, and it was also some of the, a lot of the times, a lot of the alien movies prior to this were alien invasion films. They're, you know, we, we've come to conquer Earth. And and this one's not. We, we get this being that shows up and delivers a warning, you know, kind of sees what's going on, delivers a warning to the world and says, you have to stop or you're going to be destroyed. He goes through the, it's the, the whole political machine. He can't get, he can't get to talk to the people he needs to talk to because he's given all these nonsensical political reasons for why he can't do mm -hmm. certain things. And, um, we just see so much of it's, it's a movie that's still relevant. It, it, it's about, Try about seeing what's coming down the road and changing directions before you come to an end. And, you know, characters like Gort, you know, the giant robot uh, there with Klaatu. And there's there's so many things about this movie that are still relevant today. And it's ultimately why I decided to go with The Day the Earth Stood Still. And I think that that's definitely a worthy entry that's that's one of those movies that you tries to use sci-fi to deliver a message but marisha what was next on your list all right so next on my list i have um invasion of the body snatchers because it's one that has managed to even people who have never seen it it's it's sort of ingrained itself as like a classic sci-fi horror trope, you know, is that like that idea that the aliens come and they replace us, you know, that, that they, they take away the, everyone, you know, and they replace you with these mindless replacements. I don't know. I can't come up with a better word. Um, <laughs> doppelgangers. Doppelgangers. There we go. Yeah. These, these mindless doppelgangers. And it's one that kind of, again, kind of gets, it, it kind of is, is a kind of a recurring theme. Um, in spite, like I said, in spite of the fact that a lot of people haven't actually seen it, but the movie has been remade a couple of times. The original version though was made in 1956. So it uh it wins my my second spot. That's cool because it's so very like creepy. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. That um, you know, you, you wouldn't get a lot of sci-fi horror movies. Like something I considered mm -hmm. putting on my list was Alien. Yes, probably don't get Alien without without that movie and, and, and others like it. So what what was next on your list, David? Next on my list, and this is the one that I actually battled back and forth between this and Alien, I went with Terminator slash Terminator mm -hmm. 2, because Terminator 2 is better, but Terminator was still really good, and the first one, so we're just going to say Terminator. Um, Terminator, especially ter Terminator 2, uh, is one of my favorite movies ever. I I've seen Terminator 2 countless times. Uh, I, I love it so much. It is so freaking awesome and isn't that what we all want from sci-fi 
just to watch something freaking awesome. Uh, Terminator is the ultimate science fiction action movie. Uh, and you could argue that it's like, oh, it's an action movie. It's 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 science fiction. It is uh, it's time travel and evil robots and 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 all that kind of stuff. And it's inspired so many science fiction action movies. Every action franchise wants to be the next Terminator. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's great. It's 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 probably the best. Uh, at least from what I've seen and what I know, and you probably have a movie that does it way better that I don't know about, but uh, probably the best handled time travel uh, movie, at least in my opinion. I love the rules. And people try to argue, like, actually, time travel would work like... You don't know what time travel would work like (laughs) because it doesn't exist. So stop it. Um, I love the rules that it establishes in Terminator. I love the paradox, and you're thinking, like, Wait, but if he sent Kyle back, then how is Kyle his dad? Because if he never sent him back, then he could be born. So he could never send him back. And ah, I love that. I, I I love the idea of Skynet, the evil AI. I mean, that gets referenced in everything now. Yes. I'm pretty sure Tony Stark made a joke calling Ultron Skynet and Age of Ultron. I'm pretty sure like that's been done before. Like it's it's referenced in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like oh no, Skynet or you know how, but um. I love that. And the movie's incredible. It's a great movie. The action is top notch. Um, it is excellent filmmaking. I love filmmaking. And one of my favorite shots in any movie comes from Terminator 2 when Sarah Connor is uh, doing robot surgery on, on, on the Terminator. And they actually do a thing where it's the mirror shot. But actually, it's not a mirror. It's a window. And you have linda hamilton's twin sister on the other side of it doing it with a model of arnold's head like that's filmmaking baby that's awesome so i love that about it it's such a great movie to watch everything wants to be terminator it is the ultimate science fiction action time travel evil robots evil um ai post-apocalyptic everything that i some of my favorite things about about sci-fi are peaked in terminator may not have been the first to do those things but in my opinion it it is the peak of a lot of those different tropes Mm -hmm. so terminator terminator was on my my work my working list yeah mine too um, because it met the criteria that i gave myself of the first example of something that stepped out of its predecessor's shadow it's the first real instance of time travel that steps outside of H.G. Wells's shadow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I like that one. Um, Terminator, I'm, the first two Terminator movies are, Terminator 2 is the best sequel ever made. So, um, But uh, the next one on my list, and... I'm actually still trying to decide between two. <laughs> uh, I keep waiting for something on my list to come up on somebody else's, but it hasn't yet. <laughs> right. Um, so I am actually going to go ahead and give Planet of the Apes. Planet Great of the Apes. Choice. Yeah, and just as a franchise, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newer, the newer Apes movies are so good. So yeah. good. Yeah, I love um, them. And the original Planet of the Apes, of course, is a classic and 
It it is, and it's one of those movies I can watch over and over and over, um, and in a lot the same way that Andrew's last entry with Day of the Earth Stood Still made a commentary about nuclear war. So did Planet of the Apes. It was one of those, but it didn't do it to the very last scene, right? Right. Damn um, dirty apes. Right. No, that was that was they they did it. Um but no the um that was one of those we're going to screw it up movies. Mm-hmm. And we need to pay attention to the choices we make as society and we need to pay attention to choices we make um as human beings. It was just such a brilliant movie and has again continued to be at the forefront of our consciousness as consumers of science fiction yeah like i said the the last few movies are it make a commentary of a different type Mm -hmm. in um an equally effective way the that entire concept that entire concept has continued to move forward and be really effective Mm mm-hmm um, so I'll put Planet of the Apes on my list. Uh, Andrew, what did you have next? Okay, so next on my list, I've got one that I sort of wrestled back and forth over whether to put it on a sci-fi list, but ultimately it belongs, and it's Star Wars. Wait a minute. Same wrestling. You wrestled to put it on a sci-fi list? Okay, so it is science fiction, but science fiction usually is something that exists within our world. Uh, It's our tech or something that we could strive towards, where this is science fiction in a fantasy world. But that's ultimately where I landed. I kept looking at, it's fantasy. It's ultimately fantasy. But what's interesting about it is that it is science fiction in a fantasy world. And I know, and part of the reason I was wrestling is because I know down the road we want to do kind of the same sort of thing with fantasy, the Mm -hmm. fantasy genre. Right. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I decided that, yes, it can be in both. Well, and it has been so influential on sci-fi. Star Wars is what made sci-fi a thing again. I mean, even Star Trek... The motion picture really picked up steam after Star Wars was so successful. Pretty much everything you read through, like, list of important sci-fi, and it was like, and sci-fi fizzled until Star Wars. And then all of a sudden, Star Wars was a hot ticket item. I mean, sci-fi was a hot ticket item again. Well, it wasn't just a hot ticket ticket item. It was the dominating. Star Wars started something that the genre would become the dominating force at the box office for decades. Mm-hmm. It still is. That's, yep. I mean, that's what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, yep. is science fiction, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to put your mind at ease. It absolutely belongs on the list. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> well, I, I know, but I knowing that it was a, a matter of deciding whether it was something that I would put on both of my lists. Yeah. If you had to pick one, but I think it, 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 well, I, I will tell you, I will probably only put it on one of mine, but this is the one I'm putting it on. I think yeah. we all have Star Wars, right? Does anybody not have, have Star, Star Wars, Wars on the list? 
I mean, Star Wars has got to be on the list. I mean, I was going to pick something yeah. else because I knew he was going to talk about Star Wars. Um, yeah, it's on I, my list too. But it has to be because it's, like I said, there is no modern sci-fi without Star Wars. Well, no, no movie has ever had a bigger impact on the culture, culture. than Star Wars. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing that You're everyone right. all of a sudden started trying to recreate that magic. That mm-hmm. feeling that people got when they sat in the theater, that's all of a sudden, sci-fi went from like, it's this weird thing with weird concepts, to it's a huge cinematic experience. So anyway. yeah. Now, and, and Andrew, to make you feel a little better, I actually had the exact same debate with myself uh, before putting it, because I had the same thought. We're probably going to do this with fantasy later. Right. And to me... I view Star Wars as a fan. I watch it as a fantasy, right? Like when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is a fantasy movie. Yeah. But of course, it is science fiction. I mean, spaceships and mm-hmm. pew pew and yeah. lightsabers and all that kind of stuff. It is science fiction. Mm-hmm. But I do understand your debate. But of course, it's on the list. It's so also just the, the, the first three movies are nearly flawless in my eyes right it's mm-hmm. great filmmaking it's it, it's why that's a reoccurring theme yeah it's why despite the fact they keep making star wars movies with all the modern technology they've yet to surpass the originals yep mm-hmm. you're exactly right and a reoccurring theme that keeps popping up with the stuff at least on my list is that they're all great examples of filmmaking because that's what science fiction is uh, is a leader in that in many many ways of of creating great films right well partially because you're always trying to so show something that doesn't exist in the real world yet Mm -hmm. and so you have to invent ways to to show it in a way that makes people believe it could be real Mm -hmm. yeah and and in the process you end up just coming up with these incredible techniques Mm -hmm. for making film and star wars did that better than anybody right and so Um, admittedly my 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 wrestling was mostly not denying that it's science fiction but for all of the times that i've admonished people for not recognizing that it is fantasy but as far as influence as far as influence on the world at large i think the influence has been more in the science fiction realm so as far as being a pillar, it's it's a pillar of storytelling, and it's a, it's it's the fantasy pillar of sci-fi in a lot of ways. That's a good. That's a. Gr- I like that the fantasy pillar of sci-fi. That's that's great. Yes, Star Wars is 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 taught. There were at, at my college. There were flyers of hey guys, next spring full course on Star Wars literature. 1005 but you know like the Mm -hmm. the full courses about this movie are taught in about these movies are taught at universities Mm -hmm. right like it's that important to storytelling in general Mm -hmm. all right well what else do we have on our list that's not star wars i think we're back around to marisha again what else do you have on your list not star Wars? all right so the next thing not star wars on my list is back to the future um because in spite of the fact that you know, there were several, you know, like our, our weird soiree into um, waking up in the 80s. And Back to the Future is the one that every time time travel comes up in mm-hmm. anything, 
somebody says, where are you getting your facts from? Back to the future? <laughs> I mean, literally, it is the benchmark for what people think of when they talk about time travel. Yep. It is the time travel movie. Um, and not to discount Terminator, because it also... It, it employed time travel. It was an important part of it, but there were a lot of kind of Skynet and, you know, the Terminators mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of overshadowed the time travel element of it. But Back to That's the Future fair. is just time travel. That's all it's about. And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if I had a dollar for every time I've heard references just in conversation or in other entertainment um, about flux capacitors and falling off a toilet or space-time continuum. That's not how time travel works, you know? It's just so, you know, the 80s, I, I was talking to Andrew, I feel like you could make a really good argument for pulling every single one of your pillars for sci-fi out of the 80s. If you, cons- if you yeah. consider Star Wars to be in the 80s, you know, since it... it was still being made in the 80s. You know, I think you could make a really good argument for Back to the Future and uh, Terminator and um, Star Wars and Blade Runner. I mean, being kind of the benchmarks for what sci-fi has continued to be for 40 years now. So. Well, then... uh David, what else do you have on your list? So uh, this is down to my my last one. We talked about uh, Star Wars, and I already mentioned Terminator and uh, Jurassic Park. Um, I'm sure we all have a ton of honorable mentions, mm-hmm. um, and it's so hard not to put them all. Like, but but I have one one slot left, so I'm going to use it um, with something uh, that I really want to do. I I love animation. Animation is so underrated, I think sometimes, and looked over. Uh, unfortunately, uh, less so now it's looked over, but for a long time it was, so, you know, sort of, oh, it's kids stuff, kids mm-hmm. movie. I don't got to watch it. I love animation so much. So I wanted to pick, uh, I wanted to use one of my slots to talk about a, um, animated sci-fi movie. And I really didn't know like what was the first animated sci-fi movie or most important. So I just stopped overthinking it and I just picked my favorite animated sci-fi movie to talk about. So I wanted to talk about The Iron Giant. Hmm. It is a classic animated film. Um, I don't know. Have you guys all seen The Iron Giant? Yep. It is. If you haven't, you have to. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. So it's um, there's this Iron Giant, this, uh, this, this big giant robot that is a weapon of destruction. And... It's and it, it talks about it, but the thing is, it doesn't really want to be. Um, it meets this kid, and and gets very close to it, and the kid sort of tells him like, "You don't have to be this weapon of destruction just because you were created for that." Um, it, it's it's very science fiction, you know, big robot uh, questions of who you are. Is the robot a person? You know, does it have rights? That all that kind of stuff that it tackles, and of course, it wasn't the first to do this, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's it did it very very well. Um, 
and it has one of the most beautiful endings to any movie that I've ever seen. It's one of my favorite moments in all of film. The there's there's a nuke that is going to go off that was fired at the giant, but the giant was at a public place. So he takes the nuke into space and he closes his eyes and says Superman and ev- and then the nuke explodes and he sacrificed himself to save it because he, he came to love Superman because one of the things the kid showed him was like look you can be like this other thing from outer space mm-hmm. this guy came from outer space but he's a superhero you can be that too so every time I watch that scene and he says Superman I break down into tears I'm thinking about it now it makes me teary eyed it is excellent filmmaking the animation is beautiful um it's, it's 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 a pretty old film now. Um, I, I think it was made in the late nineties. Nineteen ninety nine. That's what I thought. Vin Diesel plays the giant. Great voice acting performance. One of my yeah. favorite movies of all time. And like I said, I just wanted to talk about animated sci fi because it's important. This is a movie that I will show my kids one day. Mm-hmm. It's it's important. And I didn't know what the first animated sci fi thing was. I had no idea, so I just picked my favorite. And that is the Iron Giant. All right. So we have the Iron Giant on the list now. Um, and I actually want to go last because I'm still hoping somebody's fixing a name for one of my other ones. Uh, uh, Andrew, what would you have next? Okay. So Back to the Future. I had Back to the Future and Terminator kind of in my working list. But since those have been named, okay. uh, I had another one here that I really wanted in my top I really wanted to work in here and since it's not on the list yet 2001 a space odyssey okay you just you just helped me out because that absolutely belongs me too because it it, too, it belongs it on my list for a while but I didn't want to talk about it because I've never seen it well, we're gonna oh have, my we're gonna gosh. Have to remedy that Did, this that gum movie <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful movies like, ever yeah. made it is gorgeous Stanley Kubrick is a filmmaking god. That, like leave leave the story to two thousand one completely out of it. The way this movie is made is just glorious. Um, and I'm putting a lot of hyperbole on it, but it is it's it's a gorgeous film, and the the production that went into it, and you know we make such a big deal out of the music to Star Wars. Before Star Wars came along, this movie is the one mm-hmm. that used that big, epic, classical music. And it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful movie. And it makes you, this was Andrew's pick, and I'm going on and on <laughs> about it. Look, this is, whenever we talk about thinking man sci-fi, this is it at its pinnacle. It it embodies that that spirit of exploration. the The music is is fantastic. They used mm-hmm. some new stuff and then some some classical stuff, like the the lander coming lands comes down to uh, the Blue Danube waltz, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 whole monolith scene at the beginning is one of the most probably most mimicked scenes from any science fiction movie ever created. Um, And then all of that, all of this wonderful movie about that embodies the spirit of exploration, space exploration, 
And you also get this little bit of kind of this first time where we've had, we've talked about things in the novels. We talked about Asimov and his, his three laws of robotics. And in this one, we kind of get this real, you know, first big taste of what happens when that all goes very wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of Asimov's contemporaries, uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Right. The, the, the writer on this one. So um, it, it's just, but it also, it does all the things you just mentioned, but it also really elevates making you ask the big questions mm-hmm. about the nature of existence. And right. it, it's, yeah, it belongs on the list. And I definitely would. And, and to tell you the truth, it belongs on the list so much more than my other pick that I'm not even sure I'm going to mention my other pick. Because <laughs> no, no, this this is the right one. This this that that's my four pillars for the films: well, Star Wars, Metropolis, Planet of the Apes, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Curious, what was your other pick? The other one would have been Blade Runner. Okay, that's um, fair. Yeah. I, Blade Runner in mind, except we already talked about New Angels Dream of Electric Sheep. But yeah, Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. It inspired everything that I like. My favorite parts of sci-fi, Blade Runner has all of it. Mm-hmm. I am constantly looking for the next movie that reminds me of Blade Runner. I want to be in the world of Blade Runner. I want to be the super cool space detective cop Harrison Ford. Who fails, by the way. Who fails? Here, here's the thing. Uh, leaving the impact Blade Runner had on what came after it, even though that's the basis of, of our list here, or is what it's supposed to be, and the things that future sci- that other sci-fi is built on, just the story to Blade Runner is the, the entire Tears in the Rain monologue is one of the most beautiful pieces of cinema mm-hmm. ever written. Um, for sure. And, oh, by the way, Decker fails. Like, it really mm-hmm. is, the entire outcome of the movie would have been the same if Decker had ever been involved or not. Do you ever think about that? He actually never stops the cyborgs, yeah. or the, the replicants, I'm sorry. He actually never stops the replicants. He just sort of holds out until they're, until uh, Rucker Howard's natural life would have ended anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is sort of a running a running theme for Harrison Ford. People make the same case about Raiders of the Lost Ark. He had no impact on that movie whatsoever, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it, it's it's just a that's one of those films that again does something that other sci-fi does, and maybe Blade Runner almost does it best is the examination of what it means to be alive mm-hmm. and through the device of a replicant of an Android, essentially they're man made. But if they gain sentience, what is their right to life? Right. You know, and and it, and it, it makes us examine though, you know, the rights that we all have as human beings, Mm -hmm. um, through that, through that window of science fiction. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, in Blade Runner, yeah, the Blade Runner definitely belongs. It and it still would have been my number five. And it's but. so important for uh, Blade Runner. Is so important for um, dystopian mm-hmm. storytelling. I mean, you think of a lot of 
And I was talking yeah. about um, altered carbon a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, that whole deal Yeah, here's the is, word. It's, it's not just dystopian. Blade Runner created a whole nother subgenre of that, which altered carbon continues with cyberpunk. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that the word that started getting yep. used? Yep. Cyberpunk. Oh, to mention that. Yeah. Created the entire term. Yeah. Holy crap, I love cyberpunk. And this is why, here's the thing. I didn't put Blade Runner on my list because, one, uh, we talked about the book. And, two, Dad, the other night you told me it was on your list. So I left it off of mine to include Iron Giant. So we need to talk oh, about it. Yes. Blade Runner is one of my favorite. Blade Runner is my favorite sci-fi world ever. I love the look of it. I love the feel of it. Um, I, I love the way the guns look. I love the way the cars look. I love the way things sound. I just love all of it. And you're right, it created cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is amazing. And I don't like a lot of cyberpunk stuff because it, it goes a little too much on the punk side of it um but i i love it and i'm always looking for it there's a side there's a game called cyberpunk 2020 which is a role-playing game that i've played some of that i love and there's a video game coming out called cyberpunk 2077 that is uh actually starring keanu reeves that i am more excited for than anything in the world i would i, w- I would murder a child to play that game right now i want it so badly no i wouldn't that's not okay um <laughs> don't murder children but God, I love Blade Runner. So freaking cool, and I love cyberpunk. I love that whole world. I, I that is my that is my peak favorite piece of science fiction. Like that is like if I could choose to live in a world like that, it, it would suck. It'd be horrible. It's dystopian. I'd be miserable and sad all the time. But, but it would, would be so really cool. cool. But I'd be I would look really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd wear a trench coat. All right, so so here is the the question ultimately with Blade Runner. I think everybody kind of like has it right on the bubble. However, yeah. had all four of us chosen four completely different movies, we would have had sixteen total. As it stands, we have twelve total. Mm-hmm. I haven't Do given them. Oh, you still got 12, one. Yes. I've still got one. Oh, you were supposed to give that before Daniel gave his last one. Um, what do you have? Okay, so mine was kind of a toss-up. I was like this close to going with Mad Max, the Rogue Warrior. Because it's like so weird and there's so much that's kind of been inspired by it. But ultimately, I landed on The Matrix. Which I'm not typically the person to go for something um, that recent. But The Matrix, again, is a movie that has been, its themes have been constantly harped on in science fiction since. Again, every single time anything AI comes up, people say, haven't they seen Skynet? And, well, clearly this is the Matrix. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard references to a glitch in the Matrix because of these four matching cars, or do you want the blue pill or the red pill? And not, and so just all of that aside, the things that it did for film the the really innovative camera angles and you know the way that the that it was shot has been really um influential on how movies have been made ever since so i felt mm-hmm. like it deserved to kind of be on the list because 
even though, I mean, to me, the movie came out when I was a teenager, it's like, that can't possibly be a pillar of science fiction. But for everything that came after it, it's, it's noticeable. You can watch action movies, and there's before the Matrix action movies, and there's after the Matrix action movies. Mm-hmm. Everything wants to copy the Matrix. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, Matrix was almost on there for me. I think that's a good choice. Mad Max was almost on there for me. So if we include Matrix and Mad Max, that, that gets us up to 14. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, um, we, we could include Mad Max, but nobody really had that one. I mean, nobody really had that one very high up their list. And I would argue that if we're going to add one more kind of by... Virtue. Well, by by the fact that we all considered it so strongly, uh-huh. I would say that we we should put Blade Runner on our master list. Yeah, because it oh, was yeah. on everybody's. Yeah. Yes, and that, Blade Runner belongs on the master list because Blade, Blade Runner would have been my number five. If we're if we're now going to have what fourteen total? That's fourteen. Nobody, total. none of us are going to sit here and tell you Blade Runner is not a top fourteen most important sci-fi movie because it absolutely belongs in the top 14 Mm -hmm. i i have honorable mentions man i have honorable (laughs) mentions we're we're stopping there we got other stuff to talk about we got other stuff to talk about i just want to say et is a strong no okay you said it et all right so that is our pillars of sci-fi for the movie edition um, and I'm sure Andrew will compile that list and have that yeah. on the sciencefictionary.com for soon. So we are going to continue with our weekly Star Trek reviews, um, which we began with the original series movies, moved through the Next Generation TV series, and we've now worked our way up to the final Next Generation film, Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> this is the one I have been waiting to get to. So I can ask David this one all-important question. What did you think of Tom Hardy's film debut? <laughs> Wait, was this his film debut? Uh, there was one other film I think came out like the same year or the year before. But for I all intents and purposes, this is, considered, this is considered his first major starring role, yes. <laughs> so what did you think of the very young Tom Hardy as... <laughs> Okay, so the, what I have to say about that is a note I have written down. So there's that moment when he walks out, right? It's like they're meeting him for the first time, and he's all in dark. And, and it's set up to be like, oh, who is this? Is this somebody we know? We know this character. Who is it? Is it Wesley? What's going on, you know? And he steps out, and it's this big shock. supposed to be this big shocking moment. All the characters are like, <gasps> but my honest to god thought was is that tom hardy <laughs> i don't know what they wanted us at to the think. time nobody knew who tom hardy was no what they were going for was the big secret there was wasn't them re- wasn't them revealing shinzon's face to us but it was revealing picard's reaction yeah, to I it know. I, know, I, know, I, know that, I know that i know that but film. the way that they filmed it and the way they framed it was this sort of like uh, i get where the big reaction is their thing but it's like were we supposed to go? <gasps> He's bald. Is that a younger Picard? <laughs> like it's 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 so bizarre 
the way it's filmed and it's set up as this big mystery like this big reveal and it's like were we supposed to go he's bald and his nose is kind of big and he's young it's young picard he was cloned by the romulans like is that what we were supposed to do i'm so confused (laughs) no well yeah you aren't the only one uh the movie was this movie okay so i don't hate it i don't hate it there are and just like all star trek films there are things that i do like about it the first 30 minutes or so are are pretty good or more like 20 minutes the first 20 minutes everything up to tom hardy's big reveal is pretty good and i'm actually like really enjoying it and i'm like i wonder what the big thing's gonna be that he keeps talking about and i'm like oh that's it and then they reveal is the clone yeah, it's it's. There are things that I liked about it, but overall, this is such a. What, I don't understand what the point. You know, like, so Insurrection like wasn't a great film, but I understood what the meaning was, what the point was, why it was made, and I don't know what this movie was about. Dealing with your past actions and yourself and looking in a mirror, but not, I don't think it did that very well. You know, a big wrap up for Data. That was great. Um, Kind of, you know, good stuff for the Romulans. Him and the Romulans teamed up. Um, Didn't feel as earned, though, as, for example, when uh, the Klingons and uh, Kirk made amends. You know, didn't feel as earned and as important and special. So it didn't really work for me. Right. So then other than that, the only thing I take away from this movie is... So this movie... The the only thing that came out of this movie that worked is they killed Data. Which actually also wasn't supposed to be permanent. <laughs> really? So the one thing you feel like they kind of got right that they earned... Wasn't even yeah. really supposed to be a thing because they set up <laughs> the idea that he had implanted his memories in B4. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Right. And there was going to be a fifth movie. This one did so poorly that they canceled the fifth movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And of course, I mean, I, that's another thing I, I did like. I did like B4. I thought that was pretty cool. And that's the thing. Like the first 20 minutes of the movie, I really enjoyed. Um, I well, you, really, really. Yeah. No, you. I like all the B4 stuff. You've hit the nail on the head with this movie, though. It tried to do a lot of different things that it didn't do any of very well for me. I liked the yeah. movie. I don't know what y'all are talking about. I thought the movie was well, no, I was just going to ask you, actually, Marisha, because it's been uh, this is the first time you've seen it in how long? Yes, or I've never seen, seen it. No, I've never seen this one. Okay. But yeah. you like I got done with it. I looked at Andrew and I said, why do people hate this movie so much? I really well, liked it. Um, now, I, I agree the, like, whenever he steps out and, you know, they're all having a reaction and Andrew's like, are we supposed to recognize him? <laughs> it Like, it did give you that feel like, wait, did I miss something? Um, mm-hmm. So that definitely, like, once, you know, once they went back and filled it in, it was like, yeah, they could have done that a little differently without making right. you feel like, okay, wait, did I like, was there something in the TV show that I just missed? You know, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, is he like an illegitimate son? That's showing up from somewhere, you know, especially after he starts talking about the, the hearing thing. Um, 
but I really liked the movie. Um, I did think that it definitely left some things open. Like um, it really kind of drove home like how terribly the Romulans treated these Remans, you know, like the, the way that mm-hmm. they enslaved them and subjugated them. Um, and so, but yet in the end, the Romulans kind of came through and saved the day, which is not really how Star Trek usually works. Um, usually no. people no. get their cup up, come up. It's a little bit, you know, you don't wind up, you don't wind up sort of on the side of the oppressors. Um, so it, it, you know, cause there were some kind of theme things that while they are believable in like a real world sense that like sometimes the, you know, oppressed people, you know, can, you know, get back on, get on the top level and be the oppressors. Um, and then, you know, you, th- then they're a problem too. Um, it's not typically how Star Trek works. The way that I felt like the way that they dealt with that wasn't really mm-hmm. very Trekian. Um, but I really enjoyed kind of the interaction with Picard and Shinzon because it was. I did too. No, and and I did also, but that's one of the things I'm saying that it started to sort of examine um, Shinzon's psyche, psyche, from the point of view of he he does wonder what he would have been like if he hadn't been raised on Remus, like they start mm-hmm. to examine the nature versus nurture sort of question and mm-hmm. who he could have been or who Picard may have been. And it starts to get interesting. And then they just kind yeah. of drop it. And Shinzon just goes way off the deep end with, he's going to destroy earth. So he's, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it starts to do a lot of things that are really interesting and either doesn't pay them off or just doesn't do them very well. Uh, I will admit this is actually sort of my guilty pleasure Star <laughs> Trek movie uh, because it's still Tom Hardy. Okay, for all the faults in that character, Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy just eats up the screen like he still does to this day. Yep. He could do it then. He totally owns every scene he's in in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's he's fun to watch. And it's just, I don't know, I, I like the last space battle, except I will admit that one of the issues with this movie, it has actually been said that some of the character development um, scenes that were actually shot got cut so they could have more of the space battle. Mm. Really? And I'm always more of a supporter and a fan of character. Especially mm-hmm. in Star Trek. As much as I, yeah, and as much as I liked that space battle, I would have I do like the space liked to battle. have seen, mm-hmm. yeah, but I would have liked to have seen some more character development mm-hmm. for some of this. Well, stuff. like you said, it, it kind of reaches, the, it's kind of like you could call it Star Trek The Road Not Taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like they build up so many ideas and then just don't go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, they, have, because like you're saying sorry. with, with Shinzon, they build him up and you kind of start to come in. He's a pretty interesting villain, and then he becomes like the most simplistic villain who's just going to destroy. Like that. Like by the end, his only goal is to is to destroy. He's like this evil Hulk kind of just and, smash. And you don't earn and you don't earn that transformation at all right. by showing him pushed anywhere. You get a lot of backstory to how he got to the point we saw him. 
mm-hmm. you just sort of drop all the interesting things about him just for the plot device of he's going to destroy Earth. This is what the stakes are now. Well, no, a minute ago, the stakes right. were who he and Picard are as people. Like, yes. that's way more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's that's what that, just, um, that nature versus nurture conversation. Mm-hmm. And then it touches on it a little bit, but it never pays off. It never it sets up a question that it never answers. But not right, in the exactly. good way to make you think. It just kind of forgets that the question was even asked. Right. Um, and, and I just think that, yeah, what makes it worse is, is I think it thinks answers it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It thinks right. it's clever like all the other Star Trek movies. Right, because, oh, by the way, Shinzon is bad because of his nurture. So there, we answer the question for you. Well, no, it was like just sort of an... <laughs> Easy out, right? Yeah. yeah. Even though, again, I end up enjoying the darn movie. There, there are um, a lot of fun scenes in the movie. Okay, and there I'm going to say the the wedding scene at the great at the beginning is yeah. great. Mm-hmm. The 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 space battle is great. There's some some interesting stuff with with Picard. I I feel like you know even though like you said we kind of set it up to not be to not be Permanent, you know, like that's how you kill off the a character. Data's death, like that. Yeah, that's how you kill an important character. Mm-hmm. Like, Not, yeah. I, mean, I love the, the they set it up earlier that he had this mm-hmm. transporter on him. Mm-hmm. They could get him back. You know, Chekhov's gun. You show a gun, you got to use it. Is they uh, set it up? I thought yeah, that was a really good. Nerd, a salty nerd is so fond of telling us set up and pay off. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true, and and I did like that. Um, I think the movie looks great. Uh, yeah. the, some of the shots are cool. I love the look of the ships and the blasters. Um, by the way, this I think this started in First Contact, or maybe it started in Insurrection. I don't know. The new uniforms with like the gray jumpsuits, I'm not a fan of. Ugly. The it, it's uh, ugly. Doesn't work for me at all. Everything got darker. Speaking of ugly, that bridge was the ugliest thing. I have ever seen in a space movie. I'm mixed on it. Really? Um, oh, I hated it, it. It's I don't. It's not my favorite, but I think overall the ships looked pretty good. But that bridge, I agree with the you. The bridge like. looked like it just came out of the worst parts of 1985. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like all of like the dark paneling and the dark carpet yeah. and the ugly chairs. Yeah. It was like, ooh, what can we do that's different and looks like it's. 30 years old and is really ugly. Yeah, I just... I agree. Like I said, overall, I really like the movie. I, and I'm... Why? Okay, so Star Trek TV shows, the same uniforms through the whole runs. Star Trek movies, new uniforms, every single budget. movie. Because you have the budget to but do it. But it then messes it with the worse? continuity and it looks worse. Because they, I mean, like... I mean, the, the uniforms in the show are, are fantastic. I mean, they do did such a great job with those. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, you know, even even newer things, non-Star Trek things, look at the Orville. The Orville did, you don't even have to like the Orville. You can't tell me they did a bad job with the uniforms. Yep. Um, but it's like you get a, a director with a big, you know, wants to put his own stamp on it. It's kind of like redesigning the yep. Batman suit every time you do a movie. And sometimes you make a really good one, and sometimes Batman has nipples. That's that's a great point. Yeah, and something that I noticed, I really love the way the blasters look. Mm-hmm. I thought that I thought they look really cool. I, I I'm not a fan of when they look like 
TV remotes. Mm-hmm. Like, I get what they're going for, like, efficiency. In the, man, make it a gun. It's cool. And um, how beautiful was Romulus? I mean, like, I watched it, yeah. and I was like, oh, look, here's what a Star Trek movie looks like after the prequels. That's, this is yeah, what right. a Star Trek movie looks like after the Phantom Menace comes out and completely, yeah. it's like, oh, it's Naboo in Star Trek. Right, yeah, and I, I love like I love that open those opening bits. Like, that's in the beginning, and I love all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think some of the shots are super super cool. I love the shot of Data and B four back to back, and the head goes over. But also, there was some use of some really awkward, weird slow motion sometimes that I noticed that really bothered me. Like, okay, you're trying a little too hard, pal. Um, there are some cool lines yeah. I like. I like when Picard and Data get in the ship, and Data goes, uh, should I drive, Captain? And Picard just looks at him like, of course not. <laughs> like, why would you even ask me that? I'm Picard. I drive. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, there's this great line where um, uh, he says, victory of the echo over the voice. That was a pretty good line. I like mm-hmm. that whole thing. That's kind of all I like. I really want to touch on something. It's a touchy subject, is but it, I have to bring it up. Is it when they go to Mad Max Planet? Oh, no. Wait, I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I like Mad um, Max Planet. I did I, think I like that the, the Argo is kind of silly. Yeah. And I, I say that like the Argo is kind of silly because they tried to but make something kind of cool and futuristic. But at the same time, like in real life at that point in time, we had way cooler, better, <laughs> yeah. like real life off-road vehicles. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, but I, I liked everything on there. I, I like Picard's attitude about it. I like Worf. I like using the big blaster. I like that kind of stuff. I actually really like that. Yeah. I couldn't watch it. It was the mind rape scene. Yes. I, I couldn't watch it. I mean, I, I skipped past it, but then I'm like, fine. I need to see what happened. So I rewinded, and it just made me... So uncomfortable. Now I get it. He's the bad guy. He does bad yep. things. I yep. get it. But there's a difference between like Kylo Ren taking information out of Ray's mind and this guy actually going into her mind and having sex. Oh, with she's her. in the middle of making love with her husband. Yeah, and it made me being a really part of sick it. Yeah. feeling. It is, I do like at the end she got her big moment right. where she goes back into that guy's mind and she's like. You know, like just wrecks him. I do think that was great. I like how they handled it in the way where they don't shy away from how they messed did up not it shy is. away from it. They absolutely owned it. It is what they, they were trying to do. It's the point they were trying to make, and they made they no bones about it. I mean, they they actually to give them. You can either deride them from for choosing to include a rape scene or you can applaud them for not shying away from it and not shying away from and now i will tell you it almost feels i want to say they didn't shy away from the impact of it or the seriousness of it or the consequences of it but it almost feels like maybe they could have even done it more yeah, they brushed over it a little too much for me. They did That's because the part I don't like, and especially just, involving her husband in it. I mean, clear, yeah, but they they made it clear that that's what it was, and they made it clear that Troy felt that Troy knew it was a violation, and they made it clear she was pissed off about it, 
and at the whenever she's in his mind finding them while they're cloaked and she says remember me they tried yeah like they didn't shy away from what they were doing that's true it, it could have been it could have been a lot worse if they had only if they had just done it half Half, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and I do appreciate that they didn't try and make it like because sometimes um, Game of Thrones <laughs> they make they can make rape scenes. It's like this is not an entertainment thing, you know. It's like they they kind of really drag it out and make it graphic and make it long yeah. and you know all of that and you right. know I, I appreciate that i mean of course they probably couldn't have gotten away with it then honestly but um yeah. that's it, at least if you're going to if you're going to go there at least don't paint it as anything other than completely despicable but right. yeah it was it was um it was hard to watch i'm with you on that yeah and i did i did want to hear your opinions on it of course because you're the what did you say last week? The um, the token female in the group. The token female in the, the show. The but show. I did want to hear your opinions on it because, like, in my opinion, just from my observations of it, like, I I think I like the way they handled it, but I wish they would have, if you're gonna do it, touch on it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Really call it out as like I do like the I like that Picard. The second Picard knew about it, there was no there was no trying to defend it. There was no, 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 like Picard was like, oh, so he's evil. That sucks. Really mm-hmm. wish that he wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it did well playing into like the sort of maybe the theme of like, you know, that Picard would never do something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of plays into the overall theme a bit, which is good. I do love Troy's character so very much. And she and kicks butt in this movie. She does. I mean, and, and I she... think it is. I think it is good redemption. It, it, sorry, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no, go ahead. I, I was just. Uh, I was. I was it, agreeing with you that. Um... Yeah. It, it reminds me of this scene, and we never got to talk about it, but it was back in season one of the show. It was this episode where she was like, you know, basically she was impregnated by an alien, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I actually, I, to be fair. I did not finish watching the episode because it made me so uncomfortable because the next scene after it was a bunch of men sitting in a room arguing over what they're going to do about it, not even asking her what she thought. And that made me really uncomfortable. And she's just sitting there and it's just a bunch of dudes like, yeah, so we should kill it, right? Yeah, okay, Deanna, you're going to kill it. And she's like, wait, hold up, wait a minute. And it made me really uncomfortable and I didn't like how they handled that at all. Mm-hmm. And then no, and then and she said, I want to keep it. And then they were like, but you can't. And it's like, excuse me. And I didn't even finish the episode because it made me so upset because I really genuinely love Deanna. Mm-hmm. I think she's a great character. I made the joke that she's like my crush, but not just because I think she's beautiful. It's, I, I really like her. I think she's awesome. And so this kind of felt like, yes, it made me uncomfortable, but it was almost like a redemption for that of like, right. yeah. Read this bad thing happened to her. It does not define her. She it, she does not let it overtake her completely. But when it came time for, oh, I can get back at him and and, and show him that I am not powerless mm-hmm. and I'm going to do and I'm going to 
use his powers against him, so to speak. Like, yes, the, it was, remember it, it me. Was, it was a yeah. great way of getting back at him, and and I thought that was a really epic moment when she's like guiding Worf's hand of mm-hmm. where to go. I thought that was freaking dope. Yeah, and she I really love- got she got her vindication, you know, her her vindication mm-hmm. moment. And it's it's like whenever you get to that point, you're like, okay, I understand why they decided to do that. Not only to establish this character is evil, but also because she's not a she's a gentle person. You know, she's yeah. not a blow the ship up kind of person. Which um, they do again. They blow up another enterprise. But but you have officially pushed her too far. And, yeah. and, and she doesn't so, need Riker to do something about it. Right. And she, and I also love that we get to see her in command of the Enterprise. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. When like um, That's the first time I we've seen that, isn't it? When Data leaves and I he's so. like, Counselor, you have the bridge. I, I thought was that like, was great. Yes. Um, I feel like, yeah, she really, uh, I mean, like I said, I was really excited um, whenever, whenever she got, when she had, command and that you know she was just okay so for a long time on star trek she was the acknowledged sex symbol she was just she was the eye candy she was there to be pretty and to make sure that a certain contingent of men kept watching you know she didn't really need a brain she just was kind of a plot device um and i feel like this movie really definitely moved her if there was ever any doubt that Deanna Troy is formidable, like we have just they, finally established that she is. And, and for all of they, for they all, moved that way in the series too, though. They, 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 they did. They moved away from that. She couldn't even wear the uniform. She right. had the low cut dress yep. and all that stuff. She eventually wore the uniform. She became that that character got more and more respect and more and more to do and more and more. They they moved away from that throughout the series. But you they are did. right. This was they sort did. of the pinnacle of it. And and for, for all of that and all of the things that were done with her character in this movie, Marina Siritas is the one that called Stuart Baird, the director, an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she yeah, absolutely. Really? She Wait, did. what's the story behind uh, that? She hated him. They all hate him. He, they all hate him. He, he wanted to, and like I said, I enjoy seeing Tom Hardy on screen, but Stewart's whole thing was like he didn't really know Star Trek at all. He was a complete outsider, um, and he just he tried to make it like a non-Star Trek movie. For like I don't know how else to put it, he wanted to focus so much on the villain. And what was going on there that he he never spent time focusing on the characters in the crew. That that was the, or, you know, that, that's, that was the feeling of the cast anyway. Right. That, that And that's what led Marina Sirtis to call him an idiot. None of them really liked the way Stewart handled the film at all. And, of course, Jonathan Frakes had directed the previous two movies. He did a great. And, and and did do a good job, and but Baird actually says that there was never any animosity between he and Franks about the directing of the movie. Jonathan Franks was directing; I think he was trying to finish Clock Stoppers at the time they started production on this. He wouldn't have been able to do it even if it had been offered to him. So they say there was no animosity there, but 
still, I, I think maybe after having worked with one of their own so closely on the previous two films, mm-hmm. there was going to be a little underlying. Mm-hmm. You don't understand Star Trek for a better word. Yeah, or resentment. Uh, bringing an outsider in to to work with people who was who you know whenever even when you count Rick Berman and Michael Pillar the producers they've been involved with Star Trek for you know fifteen years at at this point mm-hmm. they'd all been together uh, he was just kind of the outsider yeah um, I'm not saying that's totally it it is the worst Star Trek movie so Marina's <laughs> Marina searches and. Other people on the cast who may feel the same way she does probably have a point. Maybe he was an idiot. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they weren't. The, the, ca- the cast as a whole was not happy with this film. Hmm. So of course, Chris was- actually wrote it. So I don't know what his feelings were on it. But Who wrote it? Grant Spiner. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah, yeah way, I, I do he did a great was- job in this movie. I always Dude, mention, I always want to touch on it because he... He he, really shines for me in all yes. these films as Data and as B four. I love when he gets to play a different mm-hmm. android, and it. I, oh my god! One of my favorite moments in the movie, like genuinely like funny, hilarious, is when um, he's pretending to be B four, and and he, and he, they're on the ship. They're on the enemy ship, and Tom Hardy's like. Go, uh, go, and he's like, "Where?" <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny, and then it's even funnier when you find out later that it was dated the whole time, right? Ending, and I love the setup. I love that, like early in the movie, that very well. If you didn't know that was Data when he first beamed on board after they had talked, after Data had just told Picard, "We have a tactical advantage," like you just right. weren't paying attention. Well, I no, I what? Okay, so I'm. I guess I'm a. Well, here's the truth. I was bored by the movie, so I kind of like probably wasn't paying attention that much, but I did see the scene where, of course, he says tactical advantage. So then when I find out it's data, it all floods back. Oh, that's the advantage. They set it up. Okay, great. But you're right. I probably would have noticed that if the movie wasn't so boring and I was paying even closer attention to it. For example, I did not miss a single beat in Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. And this right. one, I think I was watching it while like cooking dinner or something because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm gonna go cook dinner. I don't have time to wait through this. So, yeah. But you said this was the worst, Andrew and Marisha. Where do you guys think this one? This one ranks out of all these original nine movies. Now we still got the Kelvin stuff, which we're gonna watch, and then at the end of it, I think we could rank all Star Trek movies, put them in a ranking, and come back. But where do you guys think for this one? I mean, let's see. You know, it's it's certainly near the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to. You're just such a nice guy. That's all. Tell the truth. I, I don't know I which don't one know. is worse. Um, there's not one worse. All right. Uh, so look, since y'all don't have to think about it so so hard, let me actually get all my final thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Just sum it up. Wait, wait, wait! But we ha- can we just talk before you sum it up? Y'all, did anybody else cry whenever they're playing Blue Skies at the end? I was way more cut up about them killing Data than I was when they killed Kirk a couple of movies ago. Yeah, me too. Actually. I mean, That's come on point. now. I did like the end, and Deanna's crying, and mm-hmm. they're all crying, and I thought I thought that was actually a really great scene. That's also. how you kill off a beloved character that people are attached they did a good to. Job with that one, they did. That was that was a that one hit the mark. 
in ways that maybe Kirk's missed it. It it was it was more emotional. It was more felt. It was also more unexpected. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the big things when they made Generations. You kind of expected when you knew Kirk was in it. You kind of expected him not to make it through it. That's, mm-hmm. That just made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I like the way they handled Data's death in this. Just just like I like the way they handled his ultimate death here recently in Picard. Yeah. Um, with but the no, same my, song. Yeah. My uh, my final thoughts on this one are I do think it's the worst Star Trek film. That being said, that being said, it's only the worst because Insurrection isn't just blatantly bad. Insurrection is just forgettable. Um, there's nothing outstanding there's nothing outstanding about interaction one or the other. I, I don't know one. though. I mean, the thing is, is like, you know, I would rewatch nemesis despite all its faults. And I just I could care too. less if I ever see insurrection again. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Like I said a minute ago, this is my guilty pleasure. Star Trek movie. It's the worst film. I, 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 I would still watch it again before I'd watch insurrection again. There's nothing about mm-hmm. insurrection that excites me at all. At least in this one, I enjoy, you know, some of the special effects mm-hmm. in the space. Battle, and I enjoy watching Tom Hardy on screen. At least oh. in this one, Riker has his beard. It's it, this one's stupid enough to have fun with. I agree. You know? And, you know, the thing is, and I'm sure y'all are going to disagree with me because y'all have a real love for those original series movies. But now I'm looking at the list here, and I don't think any of these movies are bad. But easily, the most forgettable one is Insurrection. And then, next to it, I'd probably say The Search for Spock. I think you're right. Oh, what? Oh, y'all have lost y'all's minds. (laughs) There are not many memorable scenes for me in the Searcher Slack, and I've seen the same thing about the Final Frontier. No, uh, oh my God! I'd probably put Nemesis above the Search for Spock in the Final Frontier, at least the Final Frontier. What? What? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I wasn't a fan of the Final Frontier. No, you really weren't, <laughs> David. Really, I know we're blood and everything, and I hate to do this to you, but you are off the cast. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for this. You can, uh, you can have your mother call me later. Whatever. <laughs> Thanksgiving's gonna get awkward. I can take it. You are you are you're you are officially <laughs> fired. Off the box. Yes, I like the search for Spock. What's your favorite scene in the search for Spock? Oh, the search for Spock. I, mean, I will tell you, the search for Spock's a better movie than Nemesis. What's your favorite scene in the search for Spock. Favorite scene of Search for Spock is when they're on the Genesis planet and Spock has matured to the age where he's going through Pong Far and Savick is there with him. That's my favorite scene in Search for Spock. I don't know why, but I really love that scene. Savick was in Search for Spock? See, I don't remember the freaking movie. <laughs> I, I, I think I may be with you, David. And you can't fire me because you can't fire the token female. You know that's how the world works. <laughs> yeah, or... or yeah. <laughs> You don't want to get the science fictionary canceled. I am an, I am an, I am an equal opportunity offender, Marissa. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
I'm going to go after you on Twitter. Just you watch. Well, I respect a woman's right to equality so much that I will fire one just as equally. <laughs> as your son. <laughs> oh, my gosh. First of all, I'm, well, I want to say I'm joking, but anyway. Uh, y'all, are, I guess it's okay to be wrong. I guess I like data enough that I would watch Nemesis again over that, over those two. I will watch Nemesis over Insurrection, absolutely. I agree. Search for Spock's a better a better movie than either one of them. Probably. Okay. Okay. I'll hey, take it. I'd watch Nemesis I'll take again. It. And and that's where we'll what like uh like they say in Moneyball, you get the answer you won't hang up. That's where we'll end the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Marisha, until next time, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at princessesandpadawans.com, on Instagram, at princesses underscore and underscore padawans, and ppadawans on Twitter. And Andrew? Right, you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sai underscore fictionary. You can find me... You can find me at thesciencefictionary.com. You can find me... You can drop us a line at the science fictionary at gmail.com. You can t- check out my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash darklighter580. And as always, you can check out our show as well as the rest of our podcast family at red5network.com. All right. And David, you guys can find me on Twitter at stay underscore creative ED and on my YouTube channel, creative D and D. All right. And I am Dan C peeps on Twitter and we'll see you next time. Hello there. Rancho Obi-Wan, the Guinness World Records certified largest Star Wars memorabilia collection. Located in Petaluma, California, featuring the collection of super collector, author, and Star Wars fan ambassador Steve Sansweet. The most powerful Jedi ever. Visit RanchoObiWan.org and subscribe to the Rancho Obi-Wan Virtual Museum. A fun, authentic fan experience. Featuring rare photos, videos, Steve Sansweet Q&As, virtual tours of the museum, exclusive behind the scenes stories and information and so much more plus your subscription helps ensure the future of the museum it's the rancho obi-wan virtual museum subscribe now at ranchoobi1.org get tons of cool perks information and history of star wars collecting from the man who knows it best steve sansui while contributing to the preservation of the world's largest star wars memorabilia collection ranchoobi1.org <laughs>